Good morning. Welcome back from spring break. Ooh, goodness me, I'm breathing loudly. <coughs> Welcome back from spring break, students. Uh, those who had a spring break, took a spring break. Um, good to be back, good to see you all. How are your brackets looking? <laughs> everybody, everybody picked UMBC to beat Virginia, right? So, no. yeah, only those who trusted their kids to fill out their brackets, right? Who liked the retriever better than a cavalier. I've, I've heard multiple stories about how parents went in and changed that. No, that one's never going to happen. So, the moral there, listen to your children when you're filling out your brackets. Um, anyway. Uh, okay. Uh, my name's Scott LeGraff, by the way, if you don't know me. Uh, I am one of the elders here at Grace Bible Church. I'm also a professor uh, up at SFA, teach music. And uh, it's good to be here. This is the next to the last sermon in our series on Colossians. Next week, uh, Michael Powell will be back. Um, and Lord willing, there will be no children undergoing emergency surgery that morning or anything like that. He'll be back and preach a normal sermon. And uh, so we're looking forward to having him to finish up the book of Colossians. And then the week after that is Easter. Amazing, right? The week after that is Easter. And uh, we're going to have kind of a, a slightly different family-friendly service. So invite your friends. I know we all know uh, folks who only come a couple times a year, and Easter's one of them. So invite your friends along. So today's passage uh, is Colossians 3, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1, if you want to grab your Bible or turn on your Bible um, and find that. It is a beautiful, simple practical passage about the most important relationships in most of our lives, but it's also been, historically at least, a misused, abused, and currently somewhat controversial passage uh, that's been a source of pain and confusion, and, and it's even so far, I think, gone so far as to cause some to reject the faith. So it's important to handle it carefully uh, and sensitively. So I'm going to pray really quickly before we, we jump in. Our Father, we pray uh, that my words would be your words and that um, you would, by your Holy Spirit's strength and uh, power, enable me to do justice to this passage. We affirm that you're good and that your word is good, and we thank you for it. And we pray in your Son's name. Amen. All right, a couple disclaimers before I begin here. A lot can be said about this passage. And I'm not going to say it all. I want to say it all. If you know me, you know I want to say it all. Um, but I'm not going to. <laughs> and uh, it, um, I could have spent easily 45 minutes on the first two verses alone. Um, and I'm not going to do that, right? So there's my first disclaimer. A lot is going to be left unsaid. Second disclaimer, there are parts that are not going to apply to everyone. Um, hopefully, there will be some parts that do, and you will find something for you in this, uh, in this sermon. But I need to go where the text leads, right? And the text is what it is. So um, there's my, my second disclaimer, okay? That having been said, there are two things that are needed to properly understand this passage. The first is context, right? Always context. And the second is this concept of, of complementary relationships. So first context, right? Sorry, I'm really popping and is that all me? Do I need to, I need to pretend I'm on the radio? Hello, the first is context. Um, so it's essential to remember that today's passage 
does not exist in a vacuum, right? It's an extension of what, well, of everything that's gone on in our whole series up to this point, but particularly of, of what we heard last week, of what Rick, I'm sure, did a, a wonderful job on last week. And uh, so we need to do, I want us to do just a quick review of, of the verses just before today's passage so that we remember, so that, that uh, everything that we read today is seen in the light of what this says, right? So I, I kind of color-coded it. It doesn't show up quite as well as I'd hoped. Um, we have the, the put-ons, right? We put on uh, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, we have been chosen by God, moved from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of light, right? We have been made holy by the blood of his son, changed, given new lives. We are new creations and, and beloved of him. So in light of that, we put on compassionate hearts and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And we put on love, right? And we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Uh, we have the one another's in what's a very uh, hard-to-see teal, right? We bear with one another. Uh, and we forgive one another. We uh, admonish, we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Right, that looked much better on my iPad, and uh, it's <laughs> it's not coming out as clearly this morning. And then we have the uh, we have the thankfulness verses, and be thankful there at the end of 15 and in 16. Right, with thankfulness in our hearts to God, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then in in the purple there, we're to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever we do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So I think it is uh, a tendency of ours when dealing with this passage to end there and say, that's done, and now we're getting to the wives and husbands part, and it's this whole new section. No, it, it, it bleeds straight in, okay? So we've got to remember this passage uh, covers, envelops everything else that we're going to study. Now, the second one is this, complement, uh, this uh, concept of things being complementary, right? That's complementary with an E. Yeah, so complementary with an I is uh, you look really nice today, or here I have some free tickets for you, right? Complementary with an E is combining in such a way as to enhance or emphasize the qualities of each other or another, right? Cookies and milk, complementary. Cookies taste better with milk. Coffee and donuts. There's a reason we don't serve coffee and pickles, right, out in, in the... Uh, that place there, um, the outside part where we come in, right? Those are not complimentary. Coffee and donuts, however, are very much complimentary. And then I will confess I'm totally pandering um, with uh, Dak and Des here, right? The quarterback and, sorry, y'all, my mic is going nuts. Um, can you even hear me? There we are. Good morning. Um, that... Uh, uh, I'm totally pandering here with, with Dak and Dez, right? I'm not a Cowboys fan there, I said it. Still listen to me anyway, please. Um, but I didn't want to really necessarily speak about them, them in particular, but this relationship between a quarterback and a wide receiver, right? The quarterback's job is to, when we're, we're, it's a passing play. Let's assume it's a passing play. The quarterback's job is to put the ball right where the wide receiver can catch it, right? We used to say, hit him in the numbers. Do we still say that anymore? Hit him right in the numbers, right? Put it in their hands. His job is to make it as easy as possible for the wide receiver to catch the ball. The wide receiver's job 
is to catch anything that comes close, right? Um, if you can touch it, you can catch it. That's what we, we were always taught when I was a kid anyway. If you can touch it, you can catch it. And, and they talk about a wide receiver having a wide uh, catch radius, right? We want the receiver who can catch anything that's close to them. So if both of these guys are committed to doing their job, this relationship flourishes, right? So the coach gives them complementary commands so that they can flourish, so the team can flourish. And their job is to focus on making the other guy successful. So I want us to keep both the context of this entire chapter, everything that came right ahead, and this idea of complementary commands, complementary relationships at the forefront of our minds as we go in, okay? So the context is our new life in Christ and how we're to treat one another in light of that. And I'm going I'm to emphasize this again. Like quarterbacks and receivers, Paul gives these complementary commands to us for our flourishing. When we flourish, our family flourishes, our church flourishes, and he receives glory and the praise due him and his kingdom is advanced. Okay? All right. We're ready. Here we go. This is uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. I'm going to break these apart because he deals with uh, he moves from the general, right, in, in the previous passage to very specific relationships that we have within the family. And the first here is husbands and wives. I know you've all heard this passage before. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So we're going to cover three things talking about this, all right? One is headship. Second is mutual sacrifice. And then third, I'm going to give some rules of engagement that I think are, are at least inspired by scripture. Um, some things that we've, my wife and I have kind of figured out over 24 years, which I realize some of you are like, 24 years, you, you don't know anything yet. And others of you are like, 24 years, oh my gosh, I can't, imagine, I can't believe you guys have lasted 24 years. Um, so, okay, headship. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter five. This is uh, starting in verse 20 or, verse 20 or so. This is a, really a companion passage to this passage in Colossians, right? It was a different letter written to a different group of people, but it's a more expanded version. I don't know, Colossians was like the cliff notes. I don't know if he was in a hurry or, uh, or what it is, but um, Colossians is a shorter version, less, uh, less fleshed out version than the version we have here in Ephesians chapter five. I'm gonna highlight, uh, let's go on to the next slide. There we go, thank you highlight a couple things. First, we're starting with headship. So I'm going to start here in, in, in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Sounds like the Colossians, right? As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So my first point here, headship is a real thing. Biblical headship within a Christian marriage is a real thing, okay? It's, it's, this is a biblical principle. Um, this is not something we're called to force on the rest of the world, but it is something that within the Christian church, the Lord calls us to. Within a Christian marriage, the Lord calls us to. But this idea of headship has been misunderstood, I believe, misapplied. I believe that women have been hurt, wives have been hurt, have been mistreated, right? Headship does not give a husband the right to be abusive, verbally, physically, in any way. And I want to make this very, very clear. If you are in a harmful situation, 
you need to remove yourself from the situation, get yourself to someplace safe, no matter how much your husband says, you need to be submitting to me. Remove yourself from a situation, get yourself safe, and then talk to somebody. Come talk to the elders, talk to professionals, talk to your friends, and get some help so that, so that we can work through that situation, okay? So, what is headship? If I, if I make this claim, right, that it's misunderstood and misunder, misapplied, uh, it has caused a lot of pain. Headship ultimately, biblically, I believe, is about uh, responsibility. Okay? Headship means responsibility for the family unit. It's not about value. It's not about intelligence. It's not about strength. It's not about importance. It's not about any of those things. The Lord, in his wisdom, set things up and, and, and said, Husbands, you are the responsible party. Okay? But you remember the, the uh, complementary roles we talked about, right? Dak and Dez, quarterback and wide receiver. That, this is where Paul is going. So our focus should be, each of us, on our spouse. What can I do to make sure that she flourishes? What can she do to make sure that I flourish? Right? We see submit, and we kind of get hung up there, and it's, it's, it's difficult to go past that. And We have all these ideas in our minds, some of them... Uh, based on these past abuses, some of them perhaps based on, on family units that we've come from, and uh, it's easy to get hung up. But the full picture is one of mutual sacrifice. Mutual sacrifice, right? So let's look back here at Ephesians 5 again. You can see that starting at verse 21, he does the same thing in Ephesians that he did in Colossians, that he has uh, kind of a general statement before he goes into the specific relationships, right? And so we have submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ there in verse 21. We are called as a body to submit ourselves to one another all the time. That doesn't stop at, in the home. That doesn't stop when we leave here. That doesn't stop when you get married. That is what we are called to as Christians. Yes, in verse 22, it does say, wives, submit to your own husbands. The husband is ultimately the, the, the responsible party. But it doesn't stop there, right? As we look down in verse 25, it says, husbands are called to give themselves up as Christ did. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So how did Christ give himself? How did Christ lead? Did he sit back barking commands? Did he sit back in luxury watching everybody else do the work? No, Scripture tells us, right, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ served the church by dying on a cross so that the church could be made whole. All right? That's what the husband is called to. It is mutually, uh, a mutually sacrificial relationship. Uh, let's actually, let's see this, this Keller quote. There's a great quote from Tim Keller uh, on the next slide. This is from his book called The Meaning of Marriage. It says here, in verses 22 to 24, he's talking about this Ephesians passage. Paul says, controversially, that wives should submit to their husbands. Immediately, however, he tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, which is, if anything, a stronger appeal to abandon self-interest than was given to the woman. Each partner is called to sacrifice for the other in far-reaching ways. Whether we are husband or wife, we are not to live for ourselves, but for the other. And that is the hardest 
yet single most important function of being a husband or wife in a marriage. I Actually, I'll confess, I've never read that whole book, but I've read a lot of quotes from it, and it's really amazing. My wife has read it, and um, I strongly uh, encourage um, I strongly encourage that book as if you're looking for some light reading, right? So I want to tell you my story on how not to do this. I've, I've got plenty. I'm going to only tell you one. Uh, early in our marriage, could you go back to the Ephesians passage here? Uh, I took verse 26 very seriously, right? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, so they might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Uh, I think that my motives were good, um, but I, uh, I had a, a real tendency to point out sin areas in my wife, thinking that I was doing my job. I'll give you three guesses as to how well that was received, <laughs> how well that worked, right? Not well. What I eventually learned over the course of 10 to 15 years, maybe 15 years, 15 to 20 years, I don't do it all right all the time now. What I learned is that she did not need me to be her Holy Spirit. She needed me to be Jesus to her. What that looked like for us is that I needed to be a safe place where she could process what the Holy Spirit was doing in her life. I needed to allow the Holy Spirit to convict her. And I, if given the opportunity or when the opportunity presented itself, could speak into that situation when she asked, when she wanted to know my opinion. But I needed to be the safe place that she could go to deal with whatever it was the Holy Spirit was laying on her heart. I didn't need to be the Holy Spirit. I'm very bad at it. As hard as I tried, <laughs> I'm very bad uh, at being the Holy Spirit, right? This way was harder. It's real easy to pick to nitpick, right? It's real easy to point out flaws. It was harder, it was more costly, it was messier, but far more effective and far better for our relationship, right? There's the one way that that, that can, can play itself out. So because we have so much other stuff to cover this morning, I'm gonna jump into a few rules of engagement. Um, Right? Ways that, that these, this relationship can be mutually sacrificial and, and focused on mutual flourishing. One, be on the same team. Right? Work for the good of the relationship in all things. How you say things matters. Even difficult things can be said in a way that builds the relationship, not tearing down the relationship, right? Even simple things can be said in a way that tears down the relationship. Be on the same team. That will come through in how you communicate. And it makes it a heck of a lot easier to deal with the difficult things that do arise and um, you know you're in a safe place rather than being judged or to be critiqued or to be threatened with do it this way or I'm out, okay? Husbands, Take responsibility, especially in spiritual matters. Uh, I wrote here, do your best. Your best. This, this, it's a heavy thing. It's a scary thing. Frankly, I will confess that it's a heck of a lot easier to not do it, and there are a lot of times when I wish it weren't supposed to be this way. I think sometimes this idea of headship is held up as like, oh, yeah, it's, it's great. The husband just does whatever he wants. It's not that. That's not it at all. 
right? It's, it's actually a, a weighty responsibility. It's kind of terrifying. And again, it means sacrificing as Christ sacrificed. That's dying to ourselves a lot for the good of our wives and the good of our families. I want to say a quick note to boyfriends, um, fiancés, okay? Guys, take the lead in purity. It's very popular in our culture to say that guys just are kind of made that way. We can't help ourselves. And it's up to the girl, the woman, sorry, to stop things. That's how they're made. I don't think you can find that anywhere in the Bible. If you can find that in the Bible, please come and show me. All right, guys, take the lead in matters of purity. Protect her from you. Protect her from herself. Okay? Um, all right, yes, don't leave it to her to be the strong one. Now, ladies, if he messes up, it's okay for you to stop things, right? You don't have to abandon your own personal responsibility. But guys, step up and be men in that situation and lead. Control your circumstances. Control your environment, all right? And, and make that your priority. Don't put that on her. Uh, here's a big one, and you're going to hear this one again as we go forward. Apologize, husbands, boyfriends. Apologize when you mess up, okay? Apologize. Boy, I can't tell you. And that was in that, that first part of that Colossians passage, right? Forgiving one another. So be ready to apologize. Be ready to forgive. When you screw up, don't forget that you've screwed up. I don't mean dwell on it and, and, and beat yourself up over it. Just don't forget because you're going to be wrong before long too. And it's real easy in that situation to say, God, what is her problem? What on earth? If you remember, you know what? Not very long ago, I was the jerk, okay? It makes it a lot easier to extend forgiveness. All right, and then last thing on this before we move on. If you are having trouble in your marriage, ask for help. We have an old pastor friend who used to say, your car makes the, the first clunk and you have it in the garage. We don't, we're not embarrassed to take our car to the garage, but we get embarrassed about uh, our, our marriages, our relationships. Marriage was, marriage was given for our happiness, for our flourishing, but it's difficult and it demands a lot of investment. If you are in trouble, if you are at an impasse, if you are in a place where you can't work through something, ask somebody. We have people here who have been married a long time. They have figured some things out, okay? Go to them. Come to the elders. We can put you in touch with people. Go to professional counseling, whatever it takes, but work on it. Ask for help. Humble yourselves and ask for help. Okay. I did not say everything that could or even should be said about that, but um, so that I don't keep you here till 2 o'clock, I'm going to move on, <laughs> all right, to the next passage. So this is, deals with, with fathers or parents and children. This is Colossians 3, verses 20 and 21. There we go. Thank you. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Remember again, Dak and Dez? Remember that quarterback and wide receiver relationship, right? Again here, Paul gives us complimentary commands. They are given for our flourishing, and they result in God's glory. Uh, I want to point us, or, or take us to another passage in the book of Hebrews that, is, uh, that speaks into this situation, speaks into this relationship. I'm going to point out just a couple things, right? 
up there at the top, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And then down uh, below, uh, you can read it all, so you know I'm not making something up here, but below, for they, meaning our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he, meaning God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Okay. That's all I'm going to read of that. Again, you can read the whole thing so you know I'm not taking things out of con uh, context here. But he speaks to this relationship. Th this passage speaks beautifully to this relationship. So I'm going to speak first to children. Right? I guess that's of various ages, certainly at least until you are, are off on your own. But when you get married, we're told to leave our, our, our father and mother and, and cleave to our wives. Um, but those who are still under a parent's care, first thing to remember, and you can see it here, remember that your parents love you and they're doing their best, right? <laughs> for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. For the most part, I think we can say in Christian homes that we're trying. But we are fallen and uh, imperfect people also, right? But we want to do a good job. We want to do our best. Remember that with your parents, children. Second, make it easy for them. Okay, that's this whole idea with complementary relationships. That's kind of what he's saying in every passage. Make it easy for them. Learn from them. Believe it or not, they know more than you do. All the things that you wanted to try, they wanted to try. They, they get it. Um, and they, uh, they can be uh, a source of learning. For the most part, of course, there are exceptions. But um, trust your parents and learn from them. They know more than you do. Parents, that Colossians passage was addressed to fathers specifically, which I realize is, can be a difficult thing in today's society. But we remember, guys, remember headship and responsibility? We need to be actively involved in the disciplining of our children. Now, discipline means training. Right? It's not all negative. It's positive and it's negative, but we need to be actively involved. Any of you all remember the, the movie The Incredibles? Am I only going to speak to a small part of our audience here, right? Remember that? They're around the dinner table, and um, uh, what's his name? Bob, Mr. Incredible, is in the paper and seeing that all the old superheroes are disappearing or whatever. And, and uh, meanwhile, Mrs. Incredible's stretched out all over the place, you know, trying to grab these kids that are running crazy. He says, Bob! I need you to intervene. And he says, kids, listen to your mother. <laughs> right? Um, that's how not to do it. Okay? We need to be actively involved in training, uh, both positively and negatively. Yes, sometimes that involves consequences. Um, but sadly, in today's society, dad is often not in the picture, and so it kind of falls to mom to do both. And we could ask ourselves, guys, how can we step in perhaps in some of those situations, to assist, but um, that, that's simply a fact uh, of our culture today. A second point here, discipline in love. The Hebrews passage makes that very clearly, that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. If you don't discipline your child, you hate your child, right? And this, again, is, is both positive and negative. Yes, there need to be consequences for rebellion, but there's also teaching. 
They don't know anything. I remember having to teach Cameron when he was four years old. I remember having to teach him how to lick around the outside of an ice cream cone. After a softball game, we'd go to Dairy Queen up in Iowa. All the time, we'd get an ice cream cone, and it was great. And the drips would just go all over the cone, all over his hand, and it made me crazy. I'm a little um, fastidious. And uh, so I was like, okay, lick around the end. And he would go, he would make his tongue sharp and go, eh, and then lick a groove. And it's like, that's, I have to teach you how to do this? I thought this was innate. <laughs> um, so I had to teach him how to lick an ice cream cone. How much more so do we have to teach them manners, um, respect, how to balance a checkbook, how to change a tire, whatever it may be, okay? So we need to discipline in love. And yes, of course, that does indeed include um, negative consequences as well. One more quick story on Cameron. Um, he was our first, and so we tend to have better stories there. Uh, he was three years old. We just moved to Iowa. We were, we were relatively new at a church, and um, he was in the service with us. He had, when he was young, he had really strong separation anxiety, which he has clearly grown out of. He's a very, very independent young man right now, which is wonderful. Uh, but at the time, it was, it was a challenge for us, and uh, we had him in the service with us. And I remember it was like the first time he like ever really defied me. And I said, come over here. He was getting a little funky. I said, come here. And he said, no. And the second he said it, he knew. His eyes got big, and he must have seen the look on my face too. And so I grabbed him to remove him from the sanctuary to administer some discipline. And he goes, as we're walking out down the center aisle, Daddy, don't spank me! <laughs> Yelled for the whole church to hear. It was great. We ran into someone at Walmart later after the service, and she's like, that was awesome. <laughs> so I spanked him. Um, and uh, and my, my point here is not to tell you how to discipline your children, um, what, what method to use, but it was done in love, right? He needs to know, that our children need to know and understand that when we discipline, we are disciplining in love. We are acting for their good versus being in a bad mood, right? They can tell when you're just in a bad mood. Our children are not there for, our, to take, for us to take our frustrations out on, but rather to teach and to guide, to invite into our activities, especially our spiritual activities. I think James Dobson, maybe someone else said it, a great quote, a great quote rules without relationship breeds rebellion. One final note on children, then we're going to jump into this employers and employees. Model the behavior you want to see. Speak to them the way you want them to speak to others. Treat your spouse the way you want them to eventually treat their spouses. Pray with them. Read scripture together. And here it is again. Apologize when you screw up. It's, I, can't, I can't stress that enough. Um, when you lose your cool, when you do take out your bad mood on them, when you make a poor decision, okay? Apologize when you screw up. Here we go, another story where I've screwed up. So many. Um, recently, we had some college kids over, which we like to do, and Aiden was there with us. We're playing a game, and I, and I, and I told a story, uh, an embarrassing story from his childhood, from his young childhood. And uh, when we had a minute, um, Kim took me aside and she's like, you can't embarrass him like that. Don't embarrass him like that in front of all these kids. And I realized, oh my gosh, he's right. So the next morning, uh, he came out and I, and I said, um, I'm sorry for telling that story last night. I said, my job as a father is to protect you, not to embarrass you. I hope you can forgive me. 
And he did. It was cool. I don't think it was nearly as big a deal to him as it was to me, right? That's so often the case. But by embarrassing, or by embarrassing him, no, by apologizing to him, um, he didn't have to internalize that. He didn't have to carry the weight of my sin, the weight of my screw-up. Sometimes our screw-ups can be, can be honest and just mistakes, right? They're not necessarily sinful. But they can be sinful too. It teaches them that right and wrong are real and that you are human and that it's okay to confess. It's okay to face uh, your own shortcomings, in addition to relieving them of the burden of carrying around your screw-up, carrying around your identity, carrying around your ego, right? Humble yourself and apologize to your children when you screw up. Okay, finally, this last passage. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to try to go quickly here, but this is, this is a real difficult one. Uh, this is uh, verses yeah, 22, there we go, through 4.1, okay? This passage has been horribly abused in our nation's history to justify slavery, right? We, of course, all know that New World slavery, U.S. slavery, was race-based, that people were kidnapped and sold into a lifetime of brutal servitude, okay? And I, I felt I, could, I, can't, I can't speak on this passage and not address that. What we need to understand is that, yes, slavery was indeed widespread in ancient Rome, and people could be enslaved for many, many different reasons. Prisoners of war, criminals, uh, but very often, perhaps most often, it was a financial thing. They didn't have bankruptcy laws, and so when you lost everything to uh, a lender, you could become their bond servant. You could enter a, a, a relationship of servitude to that person and work off your debt. It was not lifetime, usually. It was not race-based. You couldn't tell the servants from the masters. Oftentimes, the servants were the most educated. They got, they got wages. They earned money, okay? Um, and they could ultimately buy their freedom. So the English Standard Version, that's the translation of the Bible that we use here, actually uses the word bondservants instead of the word slaves because it wants to, to clarify that difference. And uh, there's a, a note actually in the preface of the ESV that makes it clear why they're using that term. Okay, so ancient Rome was more like indentured servitude, at least for the most part. Yes, there was brutality. Yes, there were things that should have gone wrong. I don't want to whitewash ancient Roman slavery. But it was not the same thing. He was not speaking to those situations. Paul wasn't. He was talking more about this bondservant relationship. Okay? And then I also want to um, point out a, another verse here. This is 1 Timothy 1 from verses 9 and 10 on the next slide. Right? There's a whole list. The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. And he has this whole list of, of things. And then they use in, in the uh, ESV the word enslavers. And then you see the footnote, right? And this is what it says. That is those who take someone captive in order to sell him into slavery. So this is a, a direct um, condemnation of the very practice on which the U.S. system of slavery was built. So uh, add that to the fact that we have um, uh, the book of, of uh, the letter to, to Philemon, which is worth reading, which was written to a slave owner on behalf of a slave, uh, and, uh, and the fact that Christians used scripture 
as they led the abolitionist movement, okay? So we, we need to be able to move past uh, this idea, or not move past, we need to understand, sorry, that this has been abused and misused historically, okay? And we can answer that. What the Bible teaches, slavery is okay. Well, not as we understand that word. Okay. So, having gotten that off my chest, um, in light of this new or different understanding, this passage, the Colossians passage, is most applicable today to the employer-employee relationship, right? So again, I want to remind us of this complementary relationship that we have. Uh, the quarterback and the wide receiver, right? These complementary commands are given for, remember, our flourishing and for God's glory. And when we get here, it's pretty easy to interpret this, I think. I don't, I don't think you need a lot from me. Okay, I'll, I'll, um, will you go back to the Colossians passage for me, please? I'll read it just so I, I, I read the entire passage for this morning. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's a big one there. You are serving the Lord Christ. In your job, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Like I said, this one's pretty easy. I'll just take a second, right? Employees, work hard even when no one's looking. Yeah? Make your boss successful complementary relationships, work for the good of your boss. Bosses, employers, be fair, pay a fair wage, create an environment that is fair and is just. Remember that God is watching you both. And I told myself I wasn't going to tell the story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Just this past week, we were actually at a restaurant in the Fort Worth area. And my sister had been there before, Mediterranean restaurant, wonderful food. And she had been there before, and while she was there at that time, there was a car accident outside. And, they, and the owner brought out water to everybody. He was very, very kind. And um, when we were eating there, he came out, and, and my sister mentioned that to him. Boy, that was really great, you know, a couple weeks ago when you brought water out to everybody. He said, well, you know, we're all in this together. God is watching. I thought, wow, that is really cool. Not five minutes later, we could hear him berating one of his servers from the kitchen, yelling at her. She was crying and apologizing. Apparently God only watches out in the front or something, right? But it, it, was, it was disconcerting. Um, and, uh, and again, the food was great. The waitress wasn't great. She wasn't all that good. Um, I can understand he would be frustrated, but he was berating her in such a way that the entire restaurant could hear. So uh, I think, again, how not to do it, right? That's, that's not it. Okay, quick summary. We're new creations in Christ, and as new creations in Christ, this demands a new way of relating to one another. God tells us to focus on the good of others, sacrificially serving others, seeking their flourishing, right? Especially so in these close foundational relationships. Remember, these are complementary relationships. He gives us complementary commands for our flourishing. 
resulting in God's glory. Okay, let's pray. Father, we acknowledge your goodness. We acknowledge the goodness of how you've set things up. We also acknowledge that we have fallen, that we are our sinful, rebellious people, and that our default mode is to seek our own way. We thank you that you have made us new, that you have given us new life in your Son. We thank you that in light of that, it is possible to lay aside our selfish desires and to sacrifice on behalf of one another, to submit to one another, to seek the flourishing of one another. Help us, Father, to do that. Help us to rely fully on your power in doing that. And Lord, may that be the hallmark of Grace Bible Church. And may your kingdom be ever expanded, beginning here. We ask it in your son's name. Amen.